America, Washington, D.C., signing on. Welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org, BrushBeater.org, and of course, hosted by me, the best-selling author of The Gorilla's Guide to the Baofeng Radio and The Gorilla's Guide to Signals Intelligence, which is also a bestseller on Amazon, kind of surprisingly, because it is a sort of a niche topic, being the other side of the whole communications paradigm. And uh, there's a lot of tactics, techniques, and procedures in there, stuff that was uh, done in Afghanistan. And I include a, a lot of little anecdotes about working with SIGINT guys and uh, how we we pull little tricks of the trade here, there, and everywhere, and uh, had a lot of fun and, and some things that y'all can do as well. Anyway, I'm sitting here with another best-selling author who I, I am really, really blown away when you reached out to me. This, this is I'm really excited for this episode. But Ryan Kleckner, who has written, you will know him, you will know his name when you search long-range marksmanship or long-range shooting on Amazon.com. He has written the Long-Range Shooting Handbook, the Complete Beginner's Guide to Precision Rifle Shooting. And if you don't know about this book, because it's been over eight years since it was published. And right before we came on air, we were talking about all the, the fun things about, uh, you know, being self-published and being on Amazon and some of the shenanigans that are involved in there. But this book, if you can only have one book in long range marksmanship, this is the one. And if you don't believe it, just look at some of the professional accolades that are listed on the Amazon page. I mean, top of the line, Sergeant Major Kyle Lamb, all right, <laughs> Viking Tactics. I think everybody in the shooting community knows who he is. He, and, and if he is saying good things, then you better, in my experience, if he's saying it, you better stand up and listen, and you better take notes. So I, I know that he does not hand out praise unless it is it is well-earned and well-deserved. So without further ado, brother, thank you for being on, man. Thanks for having me here. That's what a great intro. I, I appreciate that. that. It's been a lot of fun, and Kyle's a yeah. good dude, and I can't believe you're shocked I reached out. You're, you're kicking butt in the world for all this stuff, too, and I love following you and seeing what's going on, and I like talking. I like talking about guns, so why wouldn't I want to come do this? <laughs> well, exactly, exactly, man. That's yeah. you know, it, it's uh, 
it's it's been a hell of a journey, man. It, it's uh, and and one of the things that you and I were talking about just before we came on air, uh, other than all the little fun anecdotes about when you have a when you have a book that does really well and people rip you off, you know, mm-hmm. at, at every turn and all, all that fun stuff. But but one of the really cool things that that we were talking about was how the community has embraced both of our books in a very um, interesting way and in, in interesting for good reasons mm. um, that, that, you know, you and I both, we, we kind of didn't really expect that, that it would, they would do what they did, you know, self-published, you know, in, in both cases. Yeah. Um, and, and it was like, we, we wrote it for, for our own reasons and, and for a professionally minded audience. And then it just kind of took off for everybody else. And it was like, Oh, wow. You know, this cool stuff, man. Yeah. I was just leaving corporate jobs at the time. I was just leaving Remington and I had some time to sit there and think about what I wanted to do with life. And I thought, you know, I've always wanted to write a book for the sake of just saying I wrote one, just something before I died. I wrote a book and I remember sitting there looking at the computer screen and thinking, what, what's my angle? What do you write about? And I hear everyone say, you write what you know about. I'm like, well, I know about long range shooting. That's what I do. I've taught that for a long time. And what's my angle? Well, my angle is I think long range shooting more than any other shooting discipline is plagued with, um, guys that try to make it sound more complicated than it really is. Because I think the more complicated they make it sound, the more cool they feel. I also think there's a lot of, you know, sniper voodoo or sniper fairy dust that guys want to sprinkle on their rifles (laughs) and they don't really understand, you know what I'm saying? What it does. Yeah. They're like, well, I, they, like I, and I have a lot of things I explain, I think really, really simply, maybe oversimplifying, but I also have a lot of things that I think at the time, I mean, eight years is kind of a long time when it comes to online stuff. Um, I had some pretty counterintuitive or countercultural counterculture theories. I mean, so Kyle, I got to, um, meet him when I was in Tennessee and I was on his podcast and he brought up my book on his podcast and he said he would make one change. And that's the cover. It says a beginner's guide. He said, I take the word beginners off because he used to be a sniper in CAG. I said, oh, I appreciate that, man. That's nice. And he admitted on the podcast, he said he was reading on the environmental effects. And in there, I talked about how humidity affects the flight of a bullet through the air and how higher humidity. So more moist air is actually thinner air. It's not thicker. And that's counterintuitive to what everyone in the military teaches, every military manual teaches, everyone online, everything like that. And he, he said he read that and went, wait, yeah. what? And he went and looked it up and came back and said, I'll be darned. It is the case. And I am not. I can't take credit for it. I'm not a scientist that figured that out. I just am someone that said, maybe everything they taught me in the military isn't exactly right. You know, And I learned that yeah. through years and years of teaching, not that many years, we'll just say one years of teaching. And figuring out what kind of works for people. And I thought, you know, I'll put it into a book and see how it goes. And I, I think I think our books have the same approach, which is, here's what works. You know, let's not get into the minutia of exactly how the harmonics of a barrel are actually working. Let's talk about what it takes to get you to hit the target. Right. You know, people don't need to know, like, this metallurgy has this harmonic. Like, all right, man like that's really cool if if you want to get down into the nitty-gritty of things like a mm-hmm. uh, conversation i had a couple of years ago i think it was a couple of years ago um 
might have been longer than that, but with Mike Rock, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, of of Rock Creek Barrels, and mm-hmm. you know, and and um, I've talked to to people from Bartline as well, you know, and and you can go down those rabbit holes. Do those conversations mm-hmm. make anybody a better shooter? No, like no. no at, at the end they, of the day, they go into no. making good barrels. I mean, yeah, those absolutely. Guys are geniuses, like, and I'm glad they know it. Yeah, like if if, mm-hmm. if that's your business, awesome. Like like that's really cool. You know, I I can talk yeah. to Dave Lauk about accurizing a, a Winchester Model 70 because that's he mm-hmm. like that that's his whole thing. Yeah. But you know, but does that make anybody a better shooter? No. And and you know, you apply that just as you said to the radio world. Guys get so down in the the the, the minutia of like this type of radio that and this is one of the things i do in the rto course is like right at the beginning i don't care about you know this brand of radio or that or whatever and i really don't care about amateur radio and like those Mm -hmm. space that those spaces have a purpose and that's for identifying you know maybe where you don't want to be operating in certain environments but i want the maximum capability that my equipment affords me you mm-hmm. know and and that's i, I want to be able to ring that out and and you know you you have that same approach to building a rifle at the end of the day if if a guy really only needs to reach out to let's say 600 meters you know well he could he could do very well with a remington sps which is mm-hmm. a perfectly serviceable weapon um you know maybe like like not the yeah. most expensive optic but you know something in the let's say you know somewhere six power up to ten power he's he's you know he's he's going to do perfectly well he doesn't have to dump you know thousands of dollars into this setup if he just has to get to six hundred meters like that's that you know he, he you you just don't have to do that and so um, yeah I, mean, I I don't play the guitar I've always wanted to I keep telling myself I'm going to teach myself how to play the guitar for me to learn how to play the guitar effectively i don't need the best guitar i don't need to get into what the string what metal the strings are made out of and how this wood was killing dried or not i I need a guitar and i need need to learn how to play you know another thing i think is important about shooting is focusing on what you can control and not stressing out about all these other things and i like to say if you can't change it don't worry about it so i would have you know military snipers or police snipers especially government professional snipers coming through a course and They'd be sitting there arguing about the twist rate of their barrel. What would be ideal? And I'd love leaning down next to them and say, what's, your, what's the twist rate of your barrel? Like, well, this is a one in 10, but I think a one in 11. Can you change it? Do you have the barrel vice out here that can twist a barrel hard enough to change the twist rate somehow? No? Then why are we discussing it? Why don't we discuss how we hit the target? Stop worrying about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and those conversations are good to have when you're talking all the other things like if for example if if i'm hand loading ammo mm-hmm. right which i do for precision purposes but barrel twist is is really one part of the equation because mm-hmm. you you need to know bullet weight and there's differences between you know the same bullet weight but different projectiles you know for example for for you know some of my longer term uh, listeners out there, they know that I love 77 grain open tip match. Mm-hmm. There is a slight difference between what Sierra is putting out 
and let's say what AAC is putting out, Palmetto State mm-hmm. Armory. Those projectiles are slightly different. Mm-hmm. You know, still, you know, are they close enough? Yeah, absolutely. In in you know, in in my own little anecdotal tests, yeah, they're close enough. But mm-hmm. then you're talking about powder, like differences in powder, they, all all these different things. None of that matters though. When let's say like I want to again 600 meters, I want to get a body shot at 600 meters, which mm-hmm. is you know at least in my mind a goal that, that everybody should work towards with their weapon, mm-hmm. and not necessarily out of five five six. Although that is good, that's a little tougher, but definitely you know seven six two by fifty one six five Creedmoor is just kind of point blank range for that. But, uh, you know, it, it's that that's kind of the, the standard that I think in my mind that, that people should be able to train towards to get that longer uh, standoff just for your own capability, you know. And and uh, but all, all of my, my point, though, is that that entire conversation and, and all of that, that's not, you know, on the firing line. Mm-hmm. None of that, all that stuff is irrelevant because I can't change the loading of my rounds that I have in my magazine. Right. Right. Correct. I can't change the barrel twist. I can't change any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Those are all variables that I should have taken into account at some other yes. point. You know, now it's it's brass tax time. Perform. Either you perform or you don't perform. Yeah, you there's know, clearly and, a wrong barrel twist. I mean, one in one oh, would yeah. not work well. One in 30 would not work well. <laughs> but if it's good enough yeah. to get a minute of angle or better, shoot it. And I used to take a lot of flack for that, especially when my book first came out. When I say minute of angle, done. Stop trying to get trying to get better because I'm not a bench rest shooter. And so many guys love to go out to the range and shoot pretty tiny little groups, which is fun. I get it, but they all, not all most lie to themselves and how good their guns actually shooting. Cause what they'll do is they'll shoot 15 groups and have excuses for why 14 weren't very good. And when one finally comes together, they go, Oh yeah, this gun shoots half minute of angle all day, all day. Yeah. Or was that the best group? Cause the worst group I remember was two minutes. I saw you shoot it. And well, that was because of X, Y, and Z. Well, okay, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying, let's stop chasing these tiny little groups. You get to the minute of angle. I mean, oh my gosh, on demand, hitting a 10 inch circle at a thousand yards. That's incredible yeah. shooting. That's a minute of angle. So I get to a minute of angle and then I work on training and shooting and things like that. And I, I love showing up somewhere with a underperforming rifle, you know, like a bone factory rifle, factory ammo, mm-hmm. decent glass. And just running that gun the way it's supposed to be run and having guys that have this, you know, ultra premium stuff, not be able to have it perform. So it's a tough line because you're right. The right twist rate does matter. The right velocity does matter. But to a certain point, stop stressing out about it. Focus on your position and trigger control and how you collect your data and hit the dang target. That's right. A hundred percent, you know, and uh, talking about, you know, guys, I'm grinning right now is talking about guys that, that dump a, a, a boatload of money into a weapon setup only for mm-hmm. it not to perform for them. I've, I've got, you know, many years back, it was right after I got out of the army, um, had a, a guy who wanted to go shoot. This is before I was doing anything in the training world or any of that. And he was mm-hmm. like, you know, Hey, I've, I've got this AR 10 and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, this is, this is my like my designated marksman's rifle or what you know. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, and and I mean, it was it was a super nice rifle, right? So mm-hmm. This guy was very well funded in in mm-hmm. his his personal life. Um, SR25, so he's got a knight's armament, you know, rifle like legit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
did the barrel break in on it proper. Everything was really nice. I think he had like a, um, he had a night force. I don't remember which one it was though. I think it was like, like the three to 15 or something like, but anyway, I mean, it was, it was a little bit larger than, than what I would prefer, uh, mm -hmm. on that type of rifle, but whatever. Uh, but he, I mean, all in all, he had about $6,000 in this setup, mm -hmm. you know, two MOA, three MOA. And a lot of it was him, mm -hmm. but he's shooting all sorts of different ammo. And I'm like, Hey, you know, first of all, you know, why, why isn't this doing this for me? And I was like, well, you know, you're shooting all this different ammo. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like, you've got federal over here. You've got Remington over here, like, and, and you're mixing and mm -hmm. matching everything. You, you know, you, you know what your bullet weights are and, Oh, well, I didn't think about that. You know? And, and, and so he, he thought that he could buy his way to skill and that the rifle and that, mm -hmm. that setup would do everything for him. And, and it just wasn't. And I, I've seen other cases like that. The guys that yeah, come to sure. class, and, you know, they, they, they got their expensive toys and, you know, and it's like, Hey, I can, I mean, you, you can take a, a sub, let's say a sub $1,200 rifle and perform as well or better in some cases, you know? For sure. I mean, it goes back to that guitar analogy. I could buy the fanciest guitar out there and I get up on stage, I'm going to sound horrible. And no matter how much I explain how the money I spent on this guitar, it's not going to make me any better. Uh, my favorite jerk, but joking jerk thing to say is when I see something like that and someone's frustrated is to go, you know, it, it would have been a lot cheaper just to hire me to shoot the target for you. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll shoot it right now and I won't charge you $6,000. Like, <laughs> Oh man. And the, you see him, you see him turn red and start. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, would only, I would only do that to someone I was actually really teasing with. I wouldn't really say that. Yeah. To mean someone, but yeah. Nah, man. Well, talking about weapon setups, what okay. is, what is your ideal setup? Like, let's say, let's say somebody doesn't, own anything in the you know intermediate to long distance category of weapons platforms let's say mm -hmm. they want to get to 600 meters or maybe a thousand um you know here on the east coast there's not too too many thousand meter ranges uh, mm -hmm. and kind of practical engagement distance is certainly a lot shorter than that um but with that said you know talk us through what your setup is preferred weapons platform, um, you know, caliber choices. And really, I think one of the big ones is optics. Yeah. How do, how do I start? Um, the question I get asked, I bet more often than anything else, because I, I, I get a lot of legal questions, right? Cause my trying to be professional day job is I'm a firearms attorney. So people want to ask legal questions to me all the time. Um, but the most common question I think I get is what gun should I get? And now I answer, I don't know, what car should I get? Just to kind of tease back, like, what car should I get? What's the best car? Like, well, if I need to haul haul lumber, maybe a pickup truck. If I want good gas mileage, maybe a Prius, right? <laughs> and both of those are horrible to each other's jobs. So it's really hard for me to ever tell someone what the good setup is. And I, I'm, I'm probably like you. I, I don't have a good setup. Matter of fact, I bet... 
my firearms are in less ready to go state now because I have too many options. I don't even know what scope is on what gun. And if I had one, it would all be set up and good to go. So I can talk through some considerations, you know, for people that want to get into target shooting, uh, even just paper steel target shooting, or they want something for a, I don't know, a, a, a red dawn scenario type thing for rifles. Uh, they can get quite a bit of performance out of some, what I consider budget rifles. I love Tika. I'm not, I'm not, um, shy about saying how much I love Tika rifles. I think they're the smoothest, nicest actions for the money off the shelf. They're great yeah. triggers off the shelf. They're incredible barrels and accurate off the shelf. You can go to Cabela's and get one. Um, if we're doing a bench rest competition, I'm probably going to lose. I'm not the greatest group shooter out there. I don't think, first off, I'm not the greatest any type of shooter out there, but I'm definitely not the greatest bench rest shooter. If we go to what I consider more of a tactical shooting environment, where let's say we have little, those little LaRue targets, you know, little like third size Ipsix or steel targets out at yeah. random distances, and we're going to race I, and engage who can hit the targets. I use something very similar to those in class. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that's, that's what I, I think if I could excel at anything is that just get the hit and move on to the next one and quickly engage targets effectively. Um, so it depends on if you want a bolt gun or a gas gun. And if you want a bolt gun, which I don't think is really any slower than a gas gun when it comes to getting effective hits. So I, I would happily, just for fun again, I, I'm not as much of a, I hope I'm not as much of a jerk as I'm, I'm starting to think I am when I describe these things. Uh, if I had a student in class that had an SR-25, for example, and wanted to run his mouth about how it was faster to engage targets, I would I would happily run a target array with them on me and a bolt gun and then my gas gun. Uh, one, I reload a bolt gun pretty quickly. I've done it thousands and thousands of times. Mm-hmm. But two, you can shoot rounds into the ground faster with a gas gun, but I don't think you can effectively make good hits better with a gas gun. So with a bolt gun, I would get like a Tika Tac A1. I would get any one of the basic Tikas and upgrade them with the stock. I've done that. I've gotten a KRG Bravo stock, which is kind of the more entry-level KRG stock. Throwing that onto a Tika action. You're now running the AICS magazines. You got an awesome action, an awesome barrel. Shoot the snot out of that gun. And five or 10 years from now, change the barrel because you're not going to shoot that much. Uh, and I'll, I'll throw that point in here when people talk, well, well, I like this caliber, but I just don't, I heard the barrel life is bad. Guys, if you like fast cars, would you not buy a powerful or fast car because it burns the tires out fast? No yeah. one would worry about that. People be like, oh man, that Lamborghini's awesome. I would love that Lambo, but I just heard they go through tires too fast. No, that's the point of the car. You get the <laughs> Lambo and you change the tires. We need to change the tires. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't, I don't get yeah. it. So that's the same thing to me with barrels. You want a high performance caliber. That's five to $7 a pop. The last thing you should be worrying about is when you burn the barrel out. First off, you might never get yeah. to that distance. You might never get to where you actually burn the barrel out. But when you do burn the barrel out, you put a new one on. That's the point. It's like, that's ah, got too yeah. much horsepower. Can't possibly have that, that, that truck. Anyway, so pick a caliber that you can afford that fits your purposes and that's readily available. I would always rather have a caliber I don't like. For example, 300 Win Mag. I hate 300 Win Mag. I'd rather have a rifle in 300 Win Mag than a rifle with a unique caliber that I can't find at a um, gas station in Alaska because I can find a box of 300 Win Mag there. So I'd mm-hmm. always rather have you know something that was more common and available. This is why I was very slow to adopt 6.5 Creedmoor. Heck, my book even says 308 Winchester. You know, seven six two by fifty one because it's around. You can find that NATO round everywhere in the world, and it's good enough. And out to about two hundred yards, it outperforms 
6.5 Creed more on energy. So if you're thinking about shooting things within a couple hundred yards and you want energy, 308 wins. Um, but now 6.5 Creedmoor is so prevalent, and I've seen 6.5 Creedmoor now in the military. I've seen the cans of belted 6.5 Creedmoor ammo. I've seen all that. Yeah. You can find it in stores easier. It's like, okay, now you can adopt it. And I'm glad I waited, too, because had I not waited, had I jumped on the newest, coolest caliber, 260 Remington and 6.5 Creedmoor are just about the same dang thing. If I would have jumped at it, I'd have a, a safe full of 260 Remington rifles and be out of luck. So I'm glad I waited to see which one won. But I would get a Tika 6.5 Creedmoor, maybe even a Ruger Precision Rifle if you want like a tactical looking one for a budget. Those guns, both those guns shoot like houses of fire, especially for the money they cost. And in 6.5 Creedmoor, yeah. you're going to be great out to 1,200 yards all day. No problem with it. Um, yep. Even for hunting, I've been, my last five elk I've shot have been 6.5 Creedmoor. I'm not saying it's a great elk cartridge. I'm not encouraging anyone to do it. For me, it's been fun to carry a tiny little rifle, shoot the elk in the heart, watch it fall over dead, and still not have to chase it. But I'm putting the bullet where it needs to be, and I'm choosing not to take shots. I'm not shooting an elk across a canyon 300 yards away, quartering away from me. I'm shooting it at 70 yards broadside with a perfect shot. Anyway, so 6.5 Creedmoor is probably go out, or maybe 308 if you wanted more of the power up close you wanted the nato or the surplus ammo no reason to go bigger than either of those two calibers as far as i'm concerned uh, if you want to reach out past 1200 and you want to get out to like a mile and things i think 300 P prc is where it's at um yeah that, that is a new cartridge i have jumped on because it's so dang awesome i wish they didn't call it 300 prc i wish they called it 300 creedmoor because as far as i'm concerned it looks like someone took the blueprints or dimensions for 65 creedmoor and put it on a xerox machine and just hit increased by 130%. Um, the magic of the 6.5 Creedmoor and why it has such a great following and it gets picked on a lot because it has such a great following is any gun and any cartridge can be made accurately. There's no such thing in my opinion as one cartridge that's more accurate than another. You know, oh, for pistols, I like mm -hmm. this because 45 ACP is not accurate. No, accurate just means it did the same thing every time, <laughs> right? It, it might... Right? I laugh at people that say that that are like, "Whoa, this is this round is more accurate than that one." Like, yeah, no, I don't care if the exactly round right, man. shoots like a mortar; it goes straight up in the air and lobs over and hits the ground. As long as it does the same thing the second time, that's called accurate. Um, well, I guess that's more precise. Sorry, precise is that, and then accurate would be the precision on where you're aiming. Anyway, so I'm not worried about that. But what's nice about the six-five Creedmoor? is we finally have figured out in modern manufacturing the right dimensions that are the most forgiving. So on a 308, for example, especially on your friends or the guys that's for 25, um, 308, if you're shooting federal gold medal match and the gun doesn't shoot well with that, something's wrong with the gun. That's a pretty good standard yep. for ammo if it's going to shoot. Well, it used to be when they had the Sierra bullets. I don't think it's the same anymore. So federal gold medal match used to be the standard. I don't think it is anymore. But the point is, you could have ammo that might shoot good in your gun and not in others. You and I could have the same make and model guns and yours might like a certain brand of ammo and mine doesn't. And that's because the shape of the bullets and the dimensions of the cartridge in the chamber weren't exactly super um, optimized for accuracy. They were instead optimized for forgiveness. So a 308 is was made to shoot most 308 rounds pretty darn well. And some super specific precision rifle cartridges they shoot most rounds poorly and only one or two brands really really well you know it's really got to have it super dialed in to make it work and this is where guys are starting to measure the the jump to the lands and the grooves and 
figuring all this stuff out to make the gun perform well versus a commercially available gun that shoots well with everything. Well, 65 Creedmoor, they figured out this neck length with this shoulder length to this case proportion with this bullet length and this jump, they kind of figured everything out to be the most forgiving. And what's cool about most 65 Creedmoors is if you take decent 65 Creedmoor ammo with a decent 65 Creedmoor rifle, it shoots awesome. It's that combination of dimensions is what's nice. So the 300 PRC has the same combination of proportions to it, which just makes it shoot great. So that's what I shoot. I shoot out to 1200, 65 Creedmoor, out to a mile and maybe a little more 300 PRC. And if you want, like I said, 308, if you want a nicer rifle, sure, go get a nicer rifle. But some of these rifle brands aren't nicer rifles. Uh, for me, nicer means more reliable, more consistent, more robust. It doesn't mean fancier bolt handle. It doesn't mean necessarily tighter tolerances, which aren't going to work very well out there. Um, when my book came out, Remington was still making rifles that I recommended. I have no idea what they're doing now. But um, for factory off-the-shelf guns, I'd say do that Remington and then maybe upgrade the parts as you go in life. Uh, or you can get super fancy target guns. Uh, for gas guns, I cannot stand SR-25s. I, I used to carry one. Um <laughs> Now, it, it, the reason I'm laughing is a lot of people have heard me say that. My experience oh, the with the 110 was was mm -hmm. trash, and especially the, the original incarnation of the 110 with the, the semi-integral suppressor. That thing was, it, I mean, it, it. I don't know if you ever, you ever got any trigger time on it, but the, the suppressor design itself was, was genius. For its purpose, it was super quiet. You know, it, it had a long dwell time for the gas, right? Because we, the mm -hmm. the way that it it worked was it slid over the barrel, and the dwell time for the gas, the expansion chamber, was actually around the barrel itself, um, mm -hmm. which is really not a good thing for heat dispersion and you know all, mm -hmm. all the problems. But there, there were two locking lugs on the gas block. Mm -hmm. And it locked into place. Well, this thing was a maintenance nightmare. Um, I mean, I know you know this. It, it, I mean, reliability was just the other thing is is that you had to pay very careful attention to the magazines. This is something I've taught people in class. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Magpul as a company, love them, but they're you know there, there's some Magpul products that are that need some improvement still. And their SR25 mags are absolutely, I hope somebody from Magpul hears this, they need metal in them. Uh, right where it, right where the, the locking lug in the magazine wall locks in, you got to have metal right there because mm -hmm. that will shear off. I induced a malfunction on myself mm -hmm. because of that. Yeah. yeah reloading Especially on a, like on a, a LaRue. LaRue uh, AR10s have really sharp mag catches and i've shoved a magazine mm -hmm. into the action i put a magazine in and the bolt couldn't yep. go forward because the magazine was up in the action on one of those mag poles yeah so um matter of fact that was when i i was on history channel that was i got to go be the sniper expert on top shot for a couple seasons and on tv we had to edit it out of course we were doing that with magazines but i think the rest of the magazines were great because the lancers anyway so the sr25 i don't i don't get it. i used to um it was called the sr25 when i was in the m110 came out after i got out but it's the same gun, just tan. I had the same silencer that went over the barrel and had the little locking lugs that went down, you know, snapped down yep. into place. And then you could grab the silencer and wiggle it up and down because it would actually move on the barrel. Wouldn't mm -hmm. even hold tight. Um, so I had federal agent snipers 
that would come through with their M110s. And they'd be cleaning the barrel. You know, they'd be on the outside of the copper solvent and cleaning the barrel because it'd be fouled up. And I kept asking, why are you doing that? I said, we're going to have the guns sparkling clean because it's a federal agency. And I said, well, have you noticed how your silencers get nice and tight and snug at the end of the day because it fills the carbon? They said, yeah. I said, maybe leave it that way. And they got back and I got a nasty gram like a month later from one of their armorers. How dare you telling our guys to not clean their guns? I'm like, that's not what I said. What I said was, mm-hmm. why are you cleaning it if it makes it worse? Um, I used to had in the classes, I used to have everyone pull their cases out and say, everyone find the manual. It's in the, it's in the lid of your case behind the cleaning kit there, pull the manual out for that SR25. Everyone turned to page 13. I think it was 13, might've been 15, the page 13 or 15. Everyone look at the box, the top right of the page. Somebody read it out loud to me. And it would say in the manual, accuracy is only guaranteed so long as the barrel is comfortable to the touch to the bare hand. I'm like, okay, so. If your barrel gets warm enough that it's not comfortable to your bare hand, accuracy is no longer guaranteed for this gun. And we would see that. You'd yep. shoot a five-round group, and it would be about a minute of angle, and then round six, seven, eight, nine, ten would walk right up the paper. Yeah, no, don't get that. Uh, AR-10s <laughs> are tough because there's no standard on AR-10s either. I don't know if guys know that for, yeah. for firearms. Everyone agrees what an AR-15 is. There are prints and drawings to an AR-15. That's why you can get a bolt from one company and a bolt carrier from another company, and they work well together. And they work in the upper from the fourth company, as long as it's all made, you know, mil spec dimensions. AR-10, there's no such thing. So is it a DPMS pattern AR-10? Is it a Knight's AR-10? You cannot take a barrel extension from one company and have it necessarily fit in the upper from another company because everyone has their own little take on the AR-10. So it's really difficult to mix and match um, which ones you're going to have. But, yeah. Yeah. That's that's another thing. I'm I'm glad once once again you're saying it because I've told people that like because I've had guys that, that'll bring AR10s to class. And it's like mm-hmm. you know, and they're like, oh, mine runs really well. I was like, okay, well, okay. you know, you're you're in the minority here. Um, but you know, like Rock River gun is is not mm-hmm. the same as let's say Palmetto state or the ones that Remington mm-hmm. were putting out uh, mm-hmm. DPMS pattern. Um, you know, yeah. they're, they're all slight variations of one another. And, you know, mm-hmm. you really have to pay attention to that, especially when you start adding new things to it. Um, it's not like an AR 15 where, you know, everything it's just a Barbie doll for men. Like, you know, it's just don't really work that way. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's just one of them things, man. Um, so for precision, I like bolt yeah. guns. I don't think they slow me down. I like, if you give me a magazine fed bolt gun, especially that's reliable. I don't know. I like it. They're easier to shoot. They're easier to use. Um, I, I enjoy shooting those better, but you can get ones that work. I've heard heck for the 77 grain open tip match that I I'm not a fan of AR 15s. Generally, I'm a little bit of a gun hipster. I kind of like counterculture guns a little. I mean, here, the, yeah. the, 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 the pistol in front of me right now is a CZ PO one. Like I'm, I'm a little, little hipsterish on the guns. Um, yep. so AR 15s, eh, yeah, they're cool. They really are. There's nothing wrong with them. I just, there's plenty of things that I wish I could change, but the one gun I had eight or nine gun issued and I had eight or nine guns issued to me in the military too many. And the one gun I wish I could keep was my SPR, the Mark 12 SPR to accurate yeah. AR 15. That thing was just, it was cheating to shoot for accuracy and 77 grain open tip match has the same ballistic drop as 308. Yep. So my dope at six and 800 and a thousand is the same. And we could shoot 900, 925 yard target. You could shoot 
release and shoot again before you hit, heard the first round report come back. You know, it was really, really fun. And guys that want to mock how little energy it has, my response is, go down there and let me shoot you. Like, that's got no yeah. energy. I go, oh, I know there's no energy at all. Hey, go down there real quick. Try and catch one. No? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the round put a lot of hodge in the dirt. I've seen me do it. So, you know, it, it mm -hmm. I mean, well, we all want the biggest run possible. Yeah. If I was, this, if, if I was in a self-defense situation that guys daydream about, and here I am, and I'm about to pull my gun out and defend myself and my family. And I have a matrix style power where I can just like blink and have any gun in my hand. We all would want a 50 BMG. Why wouldn't we want the biggest, most powerful gun possible? <laughs> right. <laughs> wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, but that's not the gun I have. And that goes back full circle to we're talking about with, with our equipment. Sure, you might want this radio in this conditions with this line of sight, with this environment, with this whatever. You don't. This is what you have. Can you make it work? You know, I, I don't care exactly. about the power of this or that necessarily. If I'm carrying a 9mm pistol, I better figure out how to make the 9mm pistol work. 100% man and and that's one of those things that I think a lot more people need to take to heart and and you know you see the, that conversation over and over again like the endless debate it's just beat to death of like this caliber versus that caliber this weapons platform versus that mm -hmm. one it's like all right but the people that debate that stuff you never see them on the range or rare rarely will you Usually you won't see them in class either. You know, they, they just oh. live in their little space yeah. and, you know, and, and that's kind of, that, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. I mean, when I tell people that you can take seven, six, two by 39 and make hits all day at 400 meters with it. If you yeah. tell people that online, no, there's no way that's a 200 meter gun. Oh, mm -hmm. is it? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, yeah, it's lost a lot of energy at that point because it's an intermediate caliber cartridge i mean the russians yeah. refer to it as a submachine gun in in their field manuals i don't know the that. akm is referenced as a submachine gun it's not a rifle to them hmm. like that's that's just they don't really have a uh a concept of a carbine they don't they don't really call it that they just call it a submachine hmm. gun because they they kind of um, mm -hmm. in the era in which it was developed, it was developed around that, that marching fire kind of idea. You know, we played with that too. That was kind of the, the M16, the, the original idea behind the AR-15 was developed around that. It was, um, mainly their experience in Stalingrad and then our experience, well, on the Eastern front and then our experience really in Korea was where it, it sunk in because we were still using the Garand and yeah. a lot of the, you know, the, the North Koreans and the Chinese were using uh, the PPSH and it was more effective. They, you know, small caliber weapon at close range was more effective. And so you saw a lot of guys that were uh, beginning to, to really favor like the M1 carbine, and, and that, that's where that idea came in. And then, then it really sunk into place mm -hmm. in Vietnam, you know, and, and so kind of the AR-15, the, the lineage of the AR-15 since then, the SPR idea was kind of piloted in Vietnam. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's a, a photo that, that somebody sent me uh, from way back in the day of um, a Mac V SOG guy who had taken, it was some commercial scope that he had, like some hunting scope. 
and put it on the top oh, yeah. of the carrying handle. And and then he had like he he had a couple little accuracy mods that were in there. Like that that's like the genesis of the SPR. And somebody sent that's it to cool. me and was like, that. Is this is this the, the original SPR? Like, is this where this came from? I'm like, I don't know, man, but, I guess but that's so. a badass yeah. that's a badass photo. I mean, cool. you know, old dudes out there with no shirt on hunting Viet Cong, man. Like yeah, and we're, we're complaining and arguing about things, but you got a guy like that out there actually yeah. backing things. He's like, yeah. He, yeah, he's he's out there doing it, man. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, talking semi-auto versus bolt gun, you know, I share that opinion too, especially on our, our precision marksmanship platform. The Remington mm -hmm. 700 is, you know, that's the opinion that I share is, is we, uh, Remington, took all of the lessons that had been taken in bolt gun technology at the time in, in the era in which it was developed with the 40 X action and really distilled it down. And mm -hmm. it, that's why it became the standard. And that's why it's, it's still kind of the, the, what I think of as the standard because it's such a simple action. You know, the M 24, is which the M24 had a had a couple of challenges being a, a, a Remington long action mm -hmm. because originally and and you probably know this 30 odd um, six 30 odd six it was mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know that that mm -hmm. the M24 was designed in 1988 because it was designed to also shoot match grade 30 odd six because the army was sitting on a giant stockpile of it so they mm -hmm. wanted one rifle to do all the things mm -hmm. and the design board really wanted to bring the M40 from the Marine Corps over and, and kind of have the, the same, you know, that, that way across the services, it would be the same weapon. And so then, mm -hmm. you know, big army, the big green weenie decided to have its own idea, gave its input. And then it was, you know, it was on from there, but that action though is so strong and it lends itself so well to accuracy um, mm -hmm. with very minor, really almost no modifications. I mean, right out of the box, you can have uh, an incredible weapon for not mm -hmm. a lot of money. I mentioned the SPS platform and that SPS platform that was being offered a few years ago with the, uh, it had mm -hmm. a, a medium contour barrel right out of the box. It was threaded. The whole know, rubber, rubber stock though. That was, a, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that, that's junk. Replace I mean, that. everybody's yeah. going to, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I have one of those that I added a uh, Mars rail to. You probably remember mm -hmm. those, the, the mm -hmm. Mars rails. It was the A1 mm -hmm. upgrade to the mm -hmm. M24. I added one of those to put a PVS-30 out front um, mm -hmm. of the optic that's on it. And, you know, you can shoot at night, take it off. It's perfectly accurate during the day. And it's a 20-inch barrel on that rifle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have, I have higher-end weapons. I have much more expensive weapons that I've dumped money into, but that one, I mean, I think, you know, obviously minus the, the night vision, I think I might have about $1,200 in it. It's got bottom metal, you know, so it's, it's running accuracy international mags as, as all my bolt guns do. And, you know, I mean, for what it costs, can't beat it, man. Yeah. You know, so that, that's the way to go. Spend money on uh, ammo and training. In my opinion, have a gun yeah. that's going to work and spend money on training. So, again, stop chasing better than a minute of the angle. Get a minute of the angle consistently, and you'll be the best shooter out there. Now, Eric Cortina, I was on his podcast recently. Good dude. Uh, he and I were hanging out at Shot too. We bumped into each other in a chow line. We're hanging out for a while. 
Uh, he's, you know, multi, multi-national F-class champion, 1,000 yards, stuff like that. And he'll admit, he's like, oh, men of the angle, you can't even do that. The best people that are winning regularly at the matches can't even get that. But yet we'll have, you know, these chairborn rangers online, you know, these, these closet commanders <laughs> talking about, you know, they get three-eighths of a men of the angle or half men of the angle. Like, guys, who cares? You can't do that right now. You know, I want to see you run up, lean up against a tree, and hit a five-inch circle at 500 yards. That would be awesome if you yes. could do that. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I agree with you on the rifle, and I agree with you on what's good yeah. enough. And something that people don't want to admit, and it's true for me too, is every rifle. I mean every. I'm talking the worst rifle you can picture at the garage sale down the street. Every rifle shoots better without you. So the worst accurate rifle in the world with a bent, the barrel that's like broken, a bent, broken barrel full of rust and doesn't even cycle, if you can get a bullet to come out of it, if you put it into a vice under a big concrete block, it's going to have a better group than it will when it's in your shoulder. You're going to add nothing but inaccuracy to the system. So once you stop and realize that every rifle shoots better than you do, maybe you should stop worrying about all that stuff and get good yourself first. Yep. And cardio is a big part of that. Like that, that's yeah. kind of the, the thing that, you know, all, all the, I wanted to say it earlier, but you know, the, the guys who are, the guys who, who, uh, pray at, at the, the altar of the bench rest. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm, well, that's cool. Yeah. That's a sport. That's something. You it know. is, it is, but yeah. can they carry that rifle any practal distance? And generally speaking, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm not, again, it, you know, some people are probably going to send me, I, I'm, I can feel it now. It's like some guy's going to send me a hate filled email. Like, bro, I was well, ah, back in the day. Ah, blah, blah, blah. Like, bro, I mean, dude, you know, if, if mm-hmm. you've got, if you've got a heavy ass weapon, like heavier than necessary, you know, mm-hmm. every ounce that you're adding to to a weapons platform, when you have to carry it a certain distance. I mean, when you you know, like for example, I, I bring this up a lot. Um, one of the most arduous movements that I ever undertook in the military was in Afghanistan. We did a, a 12 and a half mile insertion at eight thousand feet, and mm-hmm. we we had to do that. There, there. I mean, there there was literally no mm-hmm. other way to get into this place. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm carrying an M24 and an M4, right? The mm-hmm. M24 is on my back and I've got the M4 and, you know, seven pounds, seven and a half pounds, like with the, you know, all the crap that I've got on there, uh, PBS 14 or, you know, PV obviously on my head, but, but a uh, PEC mm-hmm. 15 rather on the weapon and an ACOG, you know, bare bones setup, AR-15 doesn't weigh anything when I hold it in my hands right here. Where, you know, I'm at mm-hmm. rest. Mm-hmm. But once I got six miles into this movement where you've got, you know, leg cramps and everything is uphill and then down really worse mm-hmm. was, was down the sides of the mountains. Dude, you know, man, you, you're just like, I mean, it, it's, it's six and a half pounds, seven pounds, all of a sudden may as well be 70 pounds. Cause you're just like, Oh God, you know? Yeah. And, and that's one of those things that people have a lot of trouble with when they put together a weapon, that they think in their mind, like use case scenario, oh, I'm going to engage, you know, the reds at 600 meters or, or whatever. It's like, all right, go hump it in the woods for a little while. You're going to start taking shit off of that weapon. You're going yeah, to look for everything. Everything's in moderation, though. 
because I agree with you, but then the guys that chase yeah. the ounces don't make sense either. I'm like, you you know, you'd go a lot further if you lost five pounds around your waist than you would if you took an ounce off True. your rifle. Yeah. And it'd be 100%. cheaper. You'd save money. <laughs> you don't have to spend more money. So everything's in moderation. I, I Was it Jeff Cooper that did the arms out test for one minute? You ever heard of that? He said, yeah, how do you know how, how, how heavy your rifle should be? He said, take your rifle fully configured and hold it out at full arms length for one minute. And if you can do it, it's okay. Cause it's, I think I've heard Clint Smith say that too. Oh, and maybe that was Clint Smith. Sense. I was thinking, I was thinking yeah. gun sight. So I was thinking, you know, the scout rifle or something. It might've been Clint Smith was the idea is yeah. Yeah. For you hold it out. And I think a standard, like, you know, hunting rifle gets pretty lightweight. It does get harder to shoot accurately. And it's so a good yeah. trigger and a lighter weight rifle or a good trigger and a heavier rifle make it easier to shoot accurately, but it's not because the rifle or the trigger are necessarily more accurate. It's because it allows you to hide your bad habits. So, right. I can shoot just as good of a group uh, with a crappy trigger. I've done this for years and thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds. And I've learned a lot of how to have a good trigger control through teaching people how to have a good trigger control. So I'm there. But if you have poor trigger control and you flinch and you're doing things wrong, and that's why your Glock always shoots way low and left, um, that's why you pick up the 1911 with the super crisp trigger that you barely breathe on at fires. You think the gun is super accurate it's because it's hiding your bad habits. It's allowing the gun to go off before you imparted all that stress on it. And a heavy gun hides your bad habits because it's harder to move around where a light weight gun, you pick it up and it just starts shaking. Yeah. It, it's harder to shoot, but there's, there's a balance to everything. Yeah, no, I, I agree a thousand percent with you. There, there is a threshold. I was just talking about the guys that's got like a mountain, like they'll take an AR you know, for mm -hmm. example, they will take an AR-15 and they'll start just like, you know, oh, I got my quad rails and I got this optic that weighs like eight pounds. And yeah, mm -hmm. you're just like, you, you don't need all that shit. You know, just, yeah. just keep your stuff simple. And I think that's a good segue into to my next question regarding optics, because we talked okay. rifle. Optics is, is another one that gets, I mean, that question is a heat magnet online. Because you've, you know, you, 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 I'm kind of of the mindset that, first of all, uh, when I'm not running a bolt gun in a semi auto, LPVOs are, are kind of the king for me for a lot of mm -hmm. reasons. Um, but across any of them, I want to keep them, you know, enough magnification to where I don't lose my target because Correct. one of the primary purposes of having your optic on there is observation. And mm -hmm. if you lose your target, a lot of these guys think that, you know, if you, you go up in a super high magnification range, that makes you somehow better. It, it really doesn't mm -hmm. because it's, it's dropping down your, your uh, field of view quite a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, it, light gathering is, is always an issue as well. Um, you know, and, and the size of an objective lens, obviously I go a little bit bigger on, uh, a, a bolt gun, but I'm still not going super huge because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think anything over, let's say 44 millimeter, at least in my opinion, is starting to mm -hmm. get a little unwieldy, you know, mm -hmm. for, for a lot of reasons. Um, but what, what's your ideal setup? And then, you know, follow on question with optics is MOAs versus mills. Cause that's the other mm. one. That's the heat magnet. Yeah. Um, I think this is the same for other industries too. Like I, I keep making these analogies. I mean, I'm sure guys 
we'll argue about the 5.3 liter versus the 5.5 liter engine here, which one's better, which one's not. I just got a new truck and I already forget what size engine it has because it's a truck that I want to turn on and drive, right? I don't remember if it's 5.3, 5.5, or 5.7. It doesn't matter. Drive the thing. So people can debate about anything. For optics, I think you should buy a, a nicer piece of glass and put it on a lesser gun versus the other way around. Uh, one reason is you can sell a used gun easier than you can sell a used optic. Okay. So if I can only afford a certain gun right now, but I want to go ahead and splurge a little in the optics, spend a little more money on that. Great. Because when I finally can upgrade to a nicer gun, that nicer piece of glass will go just great on that nicer gun. And then I can sell the gun out from underneath it. Conversely, if you get a cheaper scope and put it on a nicer gun, when you're ready to upgrade to a nicer scope, you're probably not going to be able to sell the used scope. There's just not a used scope market. People don't want it. The lenses are dirty or scratched, or they just don't trust it. So get the glass that you're going to grow into and don't be afraid to get a rifle that you're going to grow out of. I agree with you on the magnification. I think um, higher magnification does not make you a better shooter. All it does is it magnifies the error. So there's a little bit of a life lesson here, I guess. But by magnifying something and by getting it bigger so you can focus on it, the way it can help you sometimes is by showing you what you're doing wrong. So what I mean is in order to have something lined up on the target properly, I have to be able to recognize when it's not lined up properly. And then when it's not lined up properly, I need to be able to recognize it that way. And I need to be able to know which way to adjust to make it get lined up properly. Well, it also shows every little shake and every little bit of movement. And it makes this thing worse that if I could change in every shooter out there, I would. So it might apply to you if you're listening to this is you have this internal monologue of a little bit left, a little bit right, a little bit higher, ready, right about now. If you do that, because I've done that before a lot, whether it's a pistol or a rifle or whatever, you got to stop. That's that's actually what's getting in your way of shooting accurately more than any of the equipment that you could possibly do. And a higher magnification scope, I think, makes that worse. So if I have students that are having trouble shooting a group, I'm known for walking up. Even if it's a three and a half to 10 power scope and that's it, I'll walk up and turn the power all the way down at 100 yards so they can barely see the aiming dot at 100 yards, have them shoot another group. And very often the group gets better at low power. And it's because they're not focusing on every little single error and trying to overcompensate. All they're doing is what I'm asking them to do, which is focus on the reticle and applying steady pressure to the trigger. Now that focusing on the reticle also becomes easier at lower magnification. What happens at higher magnification is it's really easy to stare at that pretty target. When you see a nice big crisp picture of the target, you like to look at the target and you're sitting there in your mind trying to figure out exactly where the center of that one inch little square sticker is. And you're focusing on that so much that you don't even realize your reticle is drifting out of the way. There are hunters that will shoot elk in the antlers. The reason they're doing that is because they look at the animal, they get so excited, they start peeking at the antlers and don't even realize they're drifting over to the antlers and they pull the trigger. So if I want you to focus on the reticle, I think that's the answer to shooting. And I want you not to focus on the target, then I don't want you having a nice pretty target. So I think lower magnification is not only better to find the target, I think it's better to reacquire the target after there's recoil or if the target starts moving. And I think it's better to make you focus on the reticle, but it's gotta be enough magnification for you to properly identify what the target is, that it's really what you wanna be shooting and things like that. So for me, I love 10 power scopes. That's what I grew up on shooting. That's where I shot almost everything yep. in the military. Um, I, I really have a lot of like three to eight teams right now. So I love shooting like the Mark five, three, eight teams because I can be nice and low 18 power. And I really wanna drive in there for powerful to see the target. Um, but I don't think anything over that really does me any good. 
even shooting out to a mile, I'm not shooting a tiny target. I can shoot a, I can see a silhouette sized target at 18 power, you know, easily out there. Now, so what scope to get, whichever one you can afford, the best you can afford. And do not chase clarity or do not chase, in my opinion, light gathering, chase robustness. I want a scope that's going to adjust consistently every single time. It's not going to break on me because it's getting, you know, jostled too much on the rifle, things like that. And spend, when you get to, I don't know, $1,500, maybe about there, maybe you're getting super high end, you're starting to get to the $2,000 threshold. Once you get to $2,000 and above, you're having to pay $500 more to get a half a percent better in clarity. You have to pay $1,000 more to get a full percent better in clarity. So at a certain point, you have very diminishing returns on the cost that you're putting into the scope. Um, so be careful with that out there. And whether it's MOA or Mills, man, whatever your friends are shooting, I don't care. I think in minutes of angle because the government spent a lot of money training me in minutes of angle. I had mill reticles with minute of angle dials. Yeah. Um, yeah. To me, minute of angles makes a lot more sense when it comes to hunting and when it comes to just figuring out things on the fly. And just like people that speak a foreign language, they often think in their native language first, then kind of tran translate to the second language. Minutes of angle is my natural language. And I have to think on that first, then convert, you know, for me, for example, if I'm shooting at 600 yards and I see I'm hitting an, a whole foot low and I need to come up, I know I come up two minutes of angle. Cause I know at 600 yards, mm -hmm. a minute of angle, six inches. So two of them, it's really easy to adjust. But now with reticles, with all the graduations and marks on them already, I'll just measure the dang thing. I don't need to do any math. I just read the reticle and the reticle tells me how much it is. If I had to start from scratch, so I'm starting just today to get in the long range shooting. Mills is the only way to go. You have to do mills. That's what everyone's going to. That's a great way to learn. And if, like I said, from scratch, definitely do mills. Um, however, if you have a long history of shooting or you like hunting applications a little better, I think minutes of angle might be better. And I said, shoot whatever your friends are shooting because I don't want you speaking in different languages. If your buddies all shoot mills, get mills. So when you're out at the range, you're making calls for each other and you're asking for data and you're sharing back and forth, you can speak the same language. You're not going to be wrong with either one you go for as long as your reticle matches your turrets. And once you pick one, stay with it. So you're not jumping back and forth. Yeah. And and that's that's really the big lesson there is don't jump back and forth. If, if you've got one setup, keep it that way. You know, it's, it's just like with handguns. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's another analogy with handguns. When somebody's used to shooting one particular handgun, like, mm -hmm. you know, you're shooting a CZP-01, which I'm also mm -hmm. a CZ appreciator. Mm -hmm. uh, once you get used to that, now if you jump back to Glock, for example, mm -hmm. everything's different. Grip angle's mm -hmm. different. Trigger press is obviously different. You know, mm -hmm. sight alignment is very different with it. All, all these factors are different. So you're going to have to dry fire, re reacclimate yourself. Mm -hmm. At least for me, I have to reacclimate my brain to mm -hmm. utilizing, okay, now you're using a Glock, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you have that one established standard, you stick with it. All right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's the same way, like Mills, MOAs, um, that's, that's the exact same thing that, you know, that, that I've said, I am partial to MOAs for the exact same reason. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's what I found is, is that with civilians, it's easier for them to think in terms of inches and yards. Cause you know, in class I'll, I'll say like, you know, all right, this mm -hmm. target is this many meters away. And you always have that guy that's kind of looking at you sideways. Like we don't, we don't, we don't use metric, 
you mm-hmm. know, it's it's like, yeah, but we do use metric because it's easier for me to think in tens than it is mm-hmm. threes and sixes and twelves. Like that's kind of it's all convoluted, man. It does. You know, under pressure, it's tens makes a lot more sense. That's why for casual hunters though, or casual shooters, I'll still say minutes of angle because I can hold up. You know, like how many inches long is a dollar bill? Six. How many centimeters long is it? Most people don't know. So I can just look and tell you the adjustment so I can adjust my six you know, inches. That's why minute of angles works for me. But when it comes to converting and going back and forth, sure. Yeah, I get, I get the beauty of mills. And that's why I say for sure, if you're going to start fresh, do mills. But a lot of the things I hear, the arguments between them are wrong. I don't think mills is easier to say. Some people say, well, mills is easier because you're only dealing with like a one or a two instead of like a 12. No, you're dealing with 1.3. I think it's easier to say 12 than it is to say 1.2. I think it's faster. So no, I don't think it's faster to say or communicate. I actually think it's harder sometimes because you're always this point, this, this point, this back and forth. Um, Mm -hmm. I've also heard people say they like mills because they can adjust more finitely, you know, like with more precision between the adjustments on tenths of a mill. It's not true. A quarter minute of angle is a finer adjustment than a tenth of a mill. But who cares? I, I don't care about that anyway. I'm just saying those are the arguments I hear out there for people. So, nah, yeah. you, you, 100%, man. You, you're, you're exactly right with that. I kind of wish we you talked know, in tenths of a mil, though, instead of points, because that would solve that problem. I wish we just as shooters decided, let's do tenths of a mil. That's all we should yeah. talk about. Because then I could say, come up six. I'm talking six tenths of a mil versus yep. come up 0.6. And you're like, 1.6? <laughs> no, 0.6. Wait, 2.6? Like, no, 1.6. Well, ah. Yeah, you're, you're having to do that correction in your head. You're like, well, how many fucking clicks is that? Yeah, exactly. So I wish we said yeah. come up 16, but I don't know if that'll ever catch on, but that's essentially what you're doing is um, also be aware of what you're going to adjust in and, and don't talk in clicks. I, I put that in my book and I teach that all the time. There's no such thing as up four clicks. There's no such thing as a click right. when you're, when you're shooting with scopes. Um, the reason is every scope adjusts differently. So if we're out shooting and I needed to come up two minutes of angle and on my scope, it adjusted in quarter minutes of angle, that's eight clicks. And if I tell you to come up eight clicks and you're got a mill scope, you're adjusting up eight tenths of a mill. We need to talk in the units that they actually are. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to tell you to walk, to go 27 steps, right. Or 270, 270 steps. Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell you to go 250 meters. We need to talk about units of measurement that we all can agree on. A hundred percent, man. Dude, knowledge bombs getting dropped. Oh, or or pissing shit. people off. Either one. Well, that's fine. I'm pretty good at that too. So yeah, you know, I, don't shy away from it. Yeah, sometimes you gotta. <laughs> sometimes you have to rattle people's cage a little bit. Yeah, know, get them to think. And, I love that um, when I said the book coming out, it came out. It was controversial. There's a few things in it people were controversial, but and now I love that eight years later. People will tell me stuff and I'll just nod and smile. Uh huh. Yeah. Like that, that's, I've, I've had a couple times in my life people teach me something that's my way of teaching something. And it's really kind of cool to feel it come back around in the community. Just, yeah. Yeah. Keep it simple. <laughs> the spin of the earth matters. Okay. The spin of the earth does definitely affect where a bullet impacts. But unless you can tell me how it's going to impact this shot right now, and unless you can guarantee me that you're not going to flinch or adjust or have a problem, why are we worrying about that? Right. Like, stop worrying about the spin. Someone argues, spin of the earth matters. Oh, okay. Show me how you can compensate for that right now. And what do you mean? I'm like, 
what latitude are you at? What direction are you shooting? What, what's the adjustment you're going to make? Oh, you're not? Well, then let's just shoot. Or they'll say, well, it'll matter, you know, at a thousand yards, if you did this, it'll be a three inch difference. Oh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds impressive. Can you do me a favor? Can you shoot one bullet in one spot and then three inches to the left, shoot another bullet? No, you can't even shoot a three inch difference. Then how about we focus on good trigger control, focusing on the reticle, making sure our data is right. Maybe even reloading quickly and getting back on the target. So when we miss by 10 feet, I don't care. I just adjust up 10 feet and hit the target. Yep. You know what I mean? I like, used to say that out of the movies, if people were doing like the sniper, counter sniper, Hollywood type thing, if that ever happened to me in the real world, I hope that dude's nose is buried in the Kestrel. Cause I'm going to shoot. I'm going to hit five feet low, pepper him with dirt and rocks. I'm going to reload, aim five feet higher and shoot him through his Kestrel. Well, he's getting a very precise adjustment. I'm not saying you shouldn't yeah. use a Kestrel. They're awesome tools. Just let's learn to focus on what, what matters and when. Yeah. Oh man, dude. That's, I feel like we could go, we, we, we could go on like literally all day, man. It, it's because they're just saying it, 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 it's nice to hear somebody else say all the things that's like, yes, yeah, see, like, you don't need to worry about all that shit. Just shoot, you know, just, just shoot the damn weapon, hit your target, you know, keep, know yeah, your holdovers. Loaded. Know how yep. to run the gun. Stop doing that bull crap where you people, you guys lay on open bolts on guns. You would never do that with a pistol. You would never shoot a, a drill with a pistol, have the slide locked to the rear, and then just hold the pistol down at your side and stare at your target. But for some reason, you think that's okay to do with a bolt gun. You'll learn how to keep your gun topped off. So I was telling you that Eric, he had said, uh, when I saw him at shot, he had said he'd been using my phrase, turn to triangle a lot, which was flattering. I, I say that to people when they get worried about what they should turn their scope to or why it happened. Well, my ballistic software said this and this said this and this said this, and I was supposed to be at, at you know, 1.6 mils, but I was at 1.8. Okay. So you turn it to 1.8 and you hit the target. Great. Next time turn to 1.8. And my analogy to turn to triangle is they get wrapped around the numbers, but it shouldn't be, it should be this. And I go, look, if I took your turret off and I replaced it with a turret with nothing but shapes. And for some reason you turned it to triangle and that hit the target, then turn to triangle and hit the target. <laughs> Stop worrying about why it's that one. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate this chance to yeah. talk about guns, man. Absolutely, brother. We need to have you on here pretty soon uh, just to, to keep the conversation going because um, I'm going to have some firearms industry people that are going to be on in the near future, and I'm really excited to hear uh, some of the things that came out of SHOT Show um, one of them concerning the bolt gun world, which I think is, is really fascinating. Um, and Are you trying to tease be... it and not say what it is. Well, I don't, I don't... so no, it has to do okay. with Remington. No, 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 it's fine. It has to do with Remington and Palmetto state armory. Um, mm -hmm. their, their bolt guns that are coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I want it to come from the horse's mouth. Okay. about talking more about their bolt guns um, because they bought much of Remington's patents when, you know, the whole freedom group thing and, mm -hmm. and all of that. And so what we're seeing is, is um, some really interesting firearms development coming out of that. And and so yeah, I didn't I'm know just, they were going to be there. I walked by their booth. I'm like, Hey, what do I need yeah. to see? They're like, Oh, collector, come here, check these things out. I'm like, What? Palmetto State Armory yeah. is, is the one booth. I, my wife went this year. It's the first time she ever went to go do SHOT Show. So she stayed the whole time, walked on the show floor. It was a lot of fun. And um, 
I told her, because I was trying to tell her, you know, this is what this company's kind of like, and this is kind of this vibe. And I said, Palmetto State Armory are good dudes, but they just always seemed like they were a great online retailer. That's what they used to be, a great place to find mm-hmm. deals on mags and ammo. You know, that's kind of what they were. Then all of a sudden they came out with a pistol, and you're like, what? Palmetto State Armory pistol? Oh, it actually works pretty darn good, and it's a good deal. Yeah. Oh, they came out with this AK. What? That doesn't make, what do you mean, theirs? Oh, and then they came out with that. At SHOT Show, they had more models of firearms than the bigger manufacturers there. And they came out with more models of firearms every year than some of these manufacturers have. So you're walking this Palmetto State Armory yeah. booth, and it's from this kind of handgun to that kind of rifle to that kind of shotgun to this kind of... They're killing it on their stuff. And I looked at their premium one and their more budget-friendly one, the lines that are bolt guns. And I can't shoot it while I was there. I didn't shoot it at the range day. They, I, mm-hmm. Either I didn't see it or they didn't have it. But just seeing it in the booth, holy smokes, those are pretty darn cool. So yeah. uh, they're going to they're gonna send me the premium one, which is like the nice, super wire EDM'd awesome gun. But the basic one, I told him, I'm actually more interested in. He's like, the guy's like, no, but that's the nicer one. I'm like, this basic one looks awesome. For the price, it, it effectively looks like a 700 SPS to me. So that's good for that. Yeah, it, it, it literally does. And that's mm-hmm. the one I'm so excited about. Because if your baseline rack grade mm-hmm. rifle just mm-hmm. runs and just performs and you know mm-hmm. you you take it out there you do barrel break in on it and just performs then your top tier one is just like you know obviously the man that's icing on the cake and and for me at least that's kind of a litmus test if i get the rat grade most basic weapon because it's funny that you brought up 1911s earlier in the podcast mm-hmm. my kind of personal anecdote of, of when i learned Hey, hey, asshole! You can't buy your way to shooter, you know, to to being a, a good shooter. Um, when I got back from my second tour in Iraq, I really wanted to have a nice 1911. Like mm-hmm. I, the 1911 bug bit me. I wanted one, you know. So, but I, mm-hmm. I wanted a nice one, and I looked at you know some of the bare bones models that were out there, and I'm like, nah, man, I gotta have the coolest, you know. I gotta, I gotta have this thing. This is just gotta be awesome. Well, never mind the fact that really my only handgun experience was with the M9, and yeah. you know, it, like that's pretty much a very different handgun from a 1911, right? So get mm-hmm. this, bought this tricked out. It was a Springfield Armory TRP operator, right? Bull barrel yeah. on mm-hmm. it and all. This, you know, still got it. Still shoot it occasionally. It's mostly a safe queen now, but. I was thinking, you know, it's full length guide rope, like all all the stuff mm-hmm. that, like, if you're a 1911 guy, you, you would want, get yeah. mm-hmm. because you're already a 1911 guy. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I didn't have a fucking clue about anything. You know, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about the platform. I didn't, I really wasn't that great of a handgun shooter. I qualified the M9, right? Yeah. Thought mm-hmm. I shot that pretty well, mm-hmm. and did, but. 1911 is a whole other animal. And so I buy this yeah. thing. I, I spend like $1,800 on this handgun. Take it to the range. I just can't, I, like I'm all over the paper. Can't, mm-hmm. can't shoot it, you know? And I'm like, man, you know, and, and I got really good with it, but I would have been so much better off buying like a, like a rock Island or something, you know, for like 500 or, or, bucks or a Glock 19 or Glock 19. Right. You know, which, yeah. which is you know, what I've carried for a long time. Mm-hmm. you know but yeah my carry now is a glock 43x i've gone i think everyone does mm-hmm. an evolution they, they do an evolution where you start off hating glock 
because every idiot at the range has a Glock hat and Glock t-shirt. Sorry for that guy if you're listening. I'm not saying you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm saying every idiot dresses like you, not that you're necessarily yeah. an idiot. So you're like, oh, I want only 1911s or these HKs or I only want these guns. And then you mm-hmm. kind of go around to go, oh, Glocks kind of work. And then you get into customizing the Glocks to where it's not even a Glock anymore. And that doesn't even work anymore. And then you kind of go back to factory Glocks. Then you think revolvers are stupid. Then you kind of like revolvers and you start get an old man like me and you like these CZ pistols. And But no, my mm-hmm. carry gun, because that's what matters for my life is on the line, is a Glock. That's what yeah. I carry. It's not the highest capacity. It's not the nicest trigger, but it goes bang when I need it to. You know, you, you I, I really want to piss you off before we go. Um, you mentioned barrel breaking Uh-oh. a couple of times. Yeah. Are you, are you breaking your tires in on your truck? I mean, <laughs> I do barrel break in. It's, it, it is a habit. Um, that's the sniper voodoo, man. It, in my opinion, yeah. we, we could differ on that, but in my opinion, that's yeah. the sniper voodoo that you got to do. Well, I turn around three times. I lift the bolt handle twice and then it shoots. No, it, Sure, the barrel is going to shoot different. It is going to, but good rifles, good quality rifles. You know, you're looking mm-hmm. at like the military standards for like the new ASR that SOCOM uses for the sniper rifles and stuff like that. Yeah, it has to shoot like for the testing. I think it has to shoot a minute of angle for 200 rounds, like something ridiculous. Um, not break in. You, you put it on there and you shoot the first group. A good barrel shoots. You talk to the Bartline guys. I would, I would, I think they they agree with me on this one. Shoot the barrel. They do. Yeah, don't break in a barrel or, you know, don't lap the barrel or don't do anything. It's a good barrel. And if it does shoot different as you shoot, okay. I'm always reconfirming zero every single time. So I just wanted to mess with you on that one. Yeah, I think. No, no. I mean, I don't ever break in a barrel. That's kind of been a a question that I wanted to ask you kind of floating in the back of my mind, because I mean, I have my answer to it that if, if you're not looking for a competition gun where it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, Barrel break-in really isn't that big of a deal. On an AR, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Now, if I want, if I'm seeking the absolute most, like wringing mm-hmm. the most out of it, to sure. me, that's, that is where it matters. We, we agree on but, that. Does, yeah. Can you do that? for? You're absolutely right. The bed dress roll, for sure. But to me, that goes back to the Glock thing for me. Just shoot it. You know, or yep. you, some of these 1911s, I still enjoy 1911s. I think I have some beautiful 1911s and I love them for the art that they are. But there's some guys, that, oh, well, you need to break it in for the first 500 rounds or something like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. My, my my brand new truck that I just bought doesn't need to be broken in until it starts reliably. It just starts and it just drives. Yeah, You don't need to do that. That's actually a sign of a bad gun to me that you need to wear it in. Uh, sorry, yeah. guys. I'm just going to piss off everybody today. Um, <laughs> but barrel, barrel break in. No, shoot, shoot the damn rifle. Or cold bore shots. I'm against cold bore shots. I don't think there's such thing. And I know guys swear that there is, but I think it's a cold shooter, not a cold barrel. Yeah. No, that. I think, that, I think, it's, yes. I think it's easier for us to blame a piece of equipment than it is to blame ourselves. 100%, yeah. man. Yeah, it, it's... it's we, we all get those jitters. You know? Mm-hmm. Like... Like I'm going to be taking a new ish rifle. It's, I mean, I've got a couple hundred rounds through it now, but it, it came from Palmetto state or it's one of their Mark 12s. Wow. I'm going to be taking that out tomorrow. And it's been a week and a half, like two weeks since mm-hmm. I've, I've shot anything. So that first 10 rounds, you know, two, five round groups, I'm there. I'm going to be a little off. Like I already know, mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you have to work through those jitters yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it, no, I, I agree with that a thousand percent, man. But yeah, it, it's all that to say that, that, uh, 
we're, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about some products, but one of the things I'm really excited for uh, at a Palmetto State Armory is, is how their bolt gun, I would say they're, they're, they're kind of taking the, the, the uh, role of the Remington 700. It's kind of a ubiquitous uh, bolt gun. And they're mm-hmm. really, they, I think that they're, they're, they're taking that torch you know, and, and, and kind of picking up on it. And I, I'm really excited to see where it goes because this is another thing that, you know, just as you said, Palmetto state armory is not necessarily known for that. And and they're coming out with all of these, these wonderful things uh, that, that's just such a gift to the firearms community in general. And then some of the stuff that they're doing on the legal end too, which is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I know your other wheelhouse and that, I think that that's another conversation that we definitely, we need to cover is, is, uh, you know, obviously on another day, getting into all, all of this really cool, like like all these really cool lawsuits that are coming down, you mm-hmm. know, California, the California ammunition purchasing uh, that overturned, you know, and, and man, are, are the, the is the political machine out there throwing a yeah, fit. For, for the fast what? for the fast day, every ammo order has been to California for the, like the past 20 yeah. hours. It's been crazy. Yeah. Good for that. You love to see it, man. You mm-hmm. love to see it. Anyway, brother, it has been such a wonderful honor. Once more, um, guys, I'm telling you, you need this book. If you get one book on your bookshelf on long range marksmanship, you need to have the long range shooting handbook. You know, it is a number one bestseller. It is easy to find. It's got 9,107 ratings for a 4.8. I mean, 9,107 people definitely can't be wrong. Um, you know, Sir Major Kyle Lamb is definitely not wrong when he speaks. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it, brother, it, it, it's an honor beyond words to have you on. Oh, and thanks, uh, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me here. All right, y'all. Definitely check it out. Get a copy of that book. And while you're at it, uh, check him out on Instagram as well as Twitter. God bless folks. And I will talk to you again very, very soon. Since he scout out.